The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, stop spacing out and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 526, the NASA Pathfinders Innovators Challenge, recorded live Tuesday, February 9th, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, in our TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And now, the man who found the shadow of the Mars Spirit Rover over Boston in Google Maps, Carl Franklin. Without any pain, gotta get enough points to finally land me a place in the Thank you very much. Welcome back to Dine Rocks. Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut, and Richard Campbell in Vancouver, Canada. How you doing? I'm well, sir. Olympic mania is all over the place. Yes, it is. Sorry, I couldn't uh, couldn't come up, but somebody somebody who shall remain nameless, but his last name starts with Fort and ends with A, <laughs> uh, claimed your guest bedroom. He was on the phone when they announced Vancouver as the winner of the 2010 Olympics. He was literally on the phone with me. And the moment they said, it's Vancouver, he says, I want the bedroom. That so I that. would be there, but, you know, no place to stay. Apparently you can't go. get a hotel room for any, for, you know, for any amount of money. Hey, let's just get right into this little section we call Better Know a Framework. All right. So today I'm actually going to talk about something that you've had some experience with, Richard. It's mm-hmm. the system.windows.shell.jumplist class. Ah. This is a Windows 7 only class and it represents a list of items and tasks as a menu on a Windows 7 taskbar button. But here's the cool thing. You know, you can right click on the taskbar right. and you get this nice little jump list and with shortcuts that you can, you know, sort of like a little menu. You can also put them in your own applications. Exactly, yeah. It, it It's basically a most recently used list for any application 
that has uh, a file association with it. So you don't even have to write any code. You don't have to write any code. Not a bit. If you double click on a file that your app's associated with, it just appears in the jump list as a most recently used. But with the .NET 4.0 framework, you can now built into it, you can add your own things to the jump list. And there's more to jump lists than just the most recently used. Anything that you can you could basically call to the app with a command line parameter, you can stick in a jump list. And you can use XAML or anything else to just put the put the uh, jump list in your in your code like a like a control essentially. It's not really a control. It's just an API call, right? Okay. Or, or it's a you know a call to a class that just loads stuff in there. You can specify an icon, and you can specify different headings if you want to build your own custom categories of things. So uh, anything you want to list, and the really weird one is not just the the jump list itself, but also tasks. So you can right. invoke other programs from the jump list to launch something else. If you wanted to send an email or something like that or do something that your program does, but you want to add a little shortcut on the jump list. Right. Well, imagine a a CRM-type app, an app where salespeople are looking at customers. Rather than putting a button somewhere on your form that calls the VSTO to get to Outlook, you could actually use the jump list to put on a task that says, send an email to this guy, and you update that every time he flips to a different customer. And then that would simply make a, a, a call directly to Outlook, right? This is not a VSTO or anything. It's literally the command line style call. Run right. Outlook with the parameter, open an email, and here's the email address, and just preload the email for them. Right. So that would be a jump task. Right. There's also a jump path, which is just a link to a file. That's right. And, and the normal way you see jump lists used is a link to a file. I got one more tidbit for you that you'd like. If right. you don't want to use the .NET framework 4.0, which is where this is now in, right? Microsoft made uh, a library called the Windows API Code Pack, and I shrinksterized a link to it. It's at shrinkster.com slash 1CQG. So that's 1CharlieQuebecGolf. And it's at it's in the code gallery at MSDN. It's called the Windows API Code Pack. And it's basically a, a set of classes for any version of the .NET framework to call into all kinds of things in Win7 and, and in Vista, including jump lists. Awesome. Hey, Richard, who's yelling at us now? Uh, you'll like this email. This is The email subject line is show520 rocked. Mm-hmm. Dear Carl and Richard, my name is Asaf, and I'm a developer from Israel. I would like to thank you for completely blowing my mind with the show 520, which was an excellent interview with Yuval Lowy. When I first read the title of the show, I thought to myself, hey, great, a show with Yuval. I really like his work, and I practically know his and Michelle's books on WCF by heart. Then I saw that he said that all classes should be WCF services, and my brain was like, whiskey, tango, foxtrot? (laughs) (laughs) Then I knew I really had to hear this. When he mentioned the three phases that development goes through, first the pattern, then the technology, and finally the platform, I was enlightened, just like in all those Buddhist stories. It's like something that was always shadowing me, and I could see out of the corner of my eyes, but I couldn't focus on it. I don't think I will ever look at a new technology the same way again. Now (laughs) I see that I can make money off foreseeing where technology will go. In another note... Could you please warn us before allowing guests to make statements like the one that you've all said about VB programmers and razors? When you've all said that C++ programmers are simply used to more blood, I nearly crashed my card. I was laughing so hard. Yeah. Thanks for bringing fun and technology to me every week, your friend Asaf. And Asaf, a mug is on its way to you all the way to Israel. Indeed. 
And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for shows, anything you want to talk to us about, send us an email, .netrocks at franklins.net. And before we get started here, just a brief mention that our friends at Infusion Development in New York City are looking for a few good .NET developers. Uh, they've hired a lot of .NET Rocks uh, listeners in the past. They have offices in Toronto, in London, in New York City, and in Dubai. So if you're interested in that, send me a link, carl at franklins.net. Well, Richard, I'm really excited today because our guests are from NASA. That's right, NASA, the National Aeronautics Space Agency. Michelle Viotti is manager for NASA's Mars Public Engagement Program. Uh, she's joined today by Jeff Norris, supervisor of the NASA Planning Software Systems Group. And also on the call is Mark Mercury, who has been on the show before. He's uh, from Microsoft, director on the platform strategy team. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hey. So, Mark, you've been, uh, you've been busy doing some crazy things. Last time we talked to you was about RoboChamps. And uh, robotics has been your kind of passion for a while. What are, what are we here to talk about? So it, it's interesting. Um, back when we did the RoboChamps discussion, we talked about there's a Mars rover competition for that. And that was a chance for me to work with uh, Michelle and the team over at, at NASA's J uh, Jet Propulsion Labs, JPL. Um, part of that relationship, we realized that we both had a very strong interest in helping drive STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, and wanted to find interesting ways that we could work together on that. And what we wanted to chat about today is, is the Pathfinder Innovation Challenge. And I'll let the, the folks from NASA talk a little bit more about what that is and, and how that's, uh, how the how folks can get engaged. But it's something we worked on together. Um, put together, I think, a pretty interesting competition. It's about to helping NASA solve some really big problems. Uh, and for your audience, I think it's particularly interesting because you're developing those solutions uh, on the cloud. And we've, uh, we being Microsoft, are providing some uh, great prizes there um, in conjunction with NASA. So everything from Zooms loaded with Mars HD content to trips to see the next Mars rover launch. Wow. So uh should be a lot of fun. And uh, when you look at the opportunity to, to work with NASA, which I think we all would uh, like to, to work with NASA in some capacity if we had the chance, and the chance to win these prizes that you can't buy anywhere else, yeah. um, it really should be a lot of fun and, and pretty interesting. And said, so who better to talk with that? about than, uh, than Carl and Richard. Well, let's talk to NASA. Michelle, Jeff, tell us about this. Sure. Um, the Pathfinder Innovation Challenge is really an opportunity for us to encourage computer talent at four different levels of ability. And uh, what we're hoping to get out of it is um, contributions to what, for me, is really a shared national and worldwide endeavor in exploring a world beyond our home planet, in this case, Mars. Uh, and uh, all the things that we're asking people to do in, in terms of the contest really helps with that. Uh, there are four levels to the competition. Uh, level one is movie making, showcasing digital media skills. Uh, level two is software design for Mars education. We have a project called Rock Around the World where people can send in rocks from all over um, the globe, uh, and scientists actually use that to compare them to the rocks we're studying remotely on Mars. Hmm. Um, level, yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh, level three is a crowdsourcing app, um, that allows public participation in analyzing Mars data. And level four is all about artificial intelligence, um, creating a means of automatically identifying features in Mars images, uh, things like, um, rover tracks, the rover arm, those sorts of things. Um, and all of that will not only, um, help NASA, but everybody who's participating is really doing something for citizens out there who want to participate increasingly in 
what is really the discovery of this age, exploring other planets. So is this competition open to just students or to anyone who's interested? It's open to anyone who's interested uh, because really we're looking to capitalize on all the talent that's out there. Uh, the first two levels are open uh, to people 14 and above, while the second two levels are open to people 18 and above. Okay. And uh, is this an ongoing competition now? Is it over? Is it just beginning? What, what's the time frame? It is in progress right now. And uh, you can um, find out all of the dates on our website. There are different dates for each part of the competition. Um, but um, for the first and second leagues, it's uh, mid-April for all submissions. And for the, the third and fourth leagues, um, it's also that for the qualifying submissions. And uh, then uh, there are opportunities to um, test, particularly in the Artificial Intelligence League, um, beyond that um, with the uh, end dates and all prizes being awarded um, by midsummer. So there's still time for folks listening to the show when it was published to uh, to jump on board and, and get involved in Pathfinder. Absolutely. So what are we trying to build here? So my, my business at, at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory is building software that controls spacecraft and, and rovers like the Mars rovers. And this is a, a challenging task. It's something that um, you know takes all of our, our efforts to, to to achieve. And really, I think what what we're trying to build here is we've identified areas where we need help and assistance. And this is an opportunity for people out there who have uh, skills in a variety of areas to step in and 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 help us out. And I think that I think that's really exciting because I think this this journey of exploring the universe and and discovering things in, on places like Mars uh, is something that we're all a part of. And so uh, I think what we're trying to build is a community that's excited about space and it's excited about applying their skills to to help us achieve that. And you know, as Michelle just described, there are uh, opportunities for people at all levels of, of skill and education to to contribute. Um, you know, in the the higher levels of the competition that are intended for people who are more computer programmers and computer scientists, their opportunities to, to develop really, you know, research-worthy uh, work, you know, things that university students or even graduate students might really get a, a charge out of. And then there are things that, you know, uh, you know young people um, who are maybe just in uh, high school now could, uh, could dive in and help out with. So how did this start, Mark? Was it, whose idea was this? It's, it's a collaboration between Microsoft and, and NASA. Um, you know, we're we're interested in you know, one of the things that we did do is um, we work with NASA on the site called Be a Martian, so it's beamartian.jpl.nasa.gov, hmm. which is a executing on a vision that Michelle had, um, and she can talk to in more detail than I can, uh, really about an exper- experiencing Mars and, and providing more interactivity with the community. And one of the things that we built was uh, an area on the site called the Map Room, and what that did is it engaged the community to come in and help NASA solve some. Uh, problems that they had right now, and specifically is they have hundreds of thousands of images um, taken of the planet's surface, and some of those uh, are just slightly off from a latitude-longitude perspective, and could participants could help NASA nudge those into place so that we had accurate maps with a number of different instruments that had not yet uh, been put into a complete map yet, like Themis is, is the one that we're focusing on on the site. Mm-hmm. And there's also one, can we do crater counting? And what we did is we said, all right, well, there are, you know, thousands if not millions of people that would like to help NASA if we built a casual game interface on top of this data. And the data is be- behind that is sitting inside of a, 
an API in codename Dallas, right? So if you have this public API and you build this very easy-to-use interface for the public on top of that, can that help solve real problems? In this case, uh, building a building a map and, and counting craters. And um, it was interesting enough that we said, well, if we're doing this, uh, I wonder if, if folks outside of uh, you know Microsoft would be interested in, in helping solve some additional um, opportunities out there. And uh, Jeff and, and Michelle came up with the idea for the, the scope of the competition and, and documented the, the processes and things like that. And we're helping empowering it through software and also contributing some prizes. So it, it should be really interesting stuff. And if the nice thing about the Bee Martian site, because it was a, a precursor to the competition, we do have real-world examples that you can look to and see as a, as how this would actually work. So I have an anonymous tourist visa. I'm not actually okay. a Martian. And I'm looking yes. around on the site. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I will be soon. Beamartian.jpl.nasa.gov is the website. And and if you uh, just go look around, you can uh, create postcards for Spirit. You can send a message to the Spirit rover. Is First of all, tell us about the state of the Spirit rover, because every time I hear about it in the news, it's either stuck in the mud or or some, there's some problem with it. What's the state of that? Well, Spirit is in its uh, new phase. Um, it is uh, now stationary, um, currently in, in its spot, uh, after surviving well beyond its original 90-soul right. lifetime. So we're really yep. proud of Spirit. What's it at, 2100 days now? <laughs> it's a little past the due date, right? You know, 90 I, days. I almost stopped counting it in, in days or, or Martian days called souls, um, but we're definitely over the six-year on Mars mark, so very proud of that. He's out and, of warranty. Uh, <laughs> yes, and and basically our hearts are, are still with spirit, um, uh, and uh, we look forward also to what Opportunity is doing as it's continuing to trek toward Endeavor Crater on a very, very long journey um, mm. to an even deeper crater than it's ever explored before. It's amazing. So, so you can send a message to to the Spirit rover. What does that uh, do exactly? Well, when we announced that um, Spirit was going to be stationary in its new phase of life, um, we often get uh, emails from the public. So, we wanted to give everyone a place where they could send messages, uh, talking about what the rover has meant to them, and and we're really getting some fabulous input from everybody worldwide, uh, from all different countries, actually, which is great. And that's one way that people can share in the adventure. Basically, the Be a Martian site is um, sort of the idea comes really from a uh, line in a Ray Bradbury book um, about the fact that we are the Martians. We're the ones who are exploring. And for us here at NASA, you know, technology has made it possible so that it's not just those internal to Mars exploration like Jeff and myself. Um, but it's really a civilization endeavor open to all. And everything that we're trying to do technologically is to encourage public participation, not just one-way communication from us uh, to the public. And we're really excited about some of these new mapping and other activities and the contest as well that, that really open it up um, for people to participate in, as I said before, discovery of this age, um, exploration of Mars. So do your messages actually go to the Spirit rover? Well, they go to the mission team. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're yes. addressed, what is it, Gusev Crater? Correct. <laughs> kind of like sending a letter to Santa Claus or something. <laughs> something and also the like Pathfinder that. Innovation Challenge is right there 
uh, um, there's a link to it right there on the uh, Be a Martian, jplnasa.gov. So do you feel like you guys are suffering from almost an embarrassment of riches here, that you have so many images to look at, so much data coming back now that it's actually tough just to process it all? It is. You know, the um, and that's a, a really a wonderful problem to have, of course. You yeah. know, the with the uh, you know the rovers lasting um, you know so much longer than we than we had originally planned and returning such a wealth of data, uh, there are challenges here in finding uh, a number of of interesting things in those images. And so, you know, the two you know level three and level four leagues really center around the discovery of uh, around ten. Uh, important things in those images that we're calling tokens. And these are just features of interest that uh, our scientists and engineers want to be able to find and study in these images. And there's so many images, you know, hundreds of thousands of images, that it's just not feasible for just NASA to go through and, and find all of these things. And the two leagues really charge the public to help us find those things in one of two ways. The first one is all about building casual games that when people play them, help us find those things, you know, circle the wheel tracks or, you know, help us, you know, mark the horizon in this image. And the second one, uh, you know, the level four challenge or what Michelle is referring to as the artificial intelligence challenge asks them to try and write automated programs to do a similar task. And what's kind of exciting here is, is that we certainly don't have a preconceived notion of which approach is going to be ultimately the best. I, I think that uh, a combination of them actually is, is going to really help us to enrich this data set of images that uh, then becomes that much more valuable to not only NASA, but to everybody. And may even be used uh, for curiosity, the next rover to go to Mars as well by the mission teams in terms of how they process the data, which uh, beyond prizes is a really cool uh, yeah. way of participating. Anybody who went to PDC, there were actually models of uh, Sojourner, the little guy from 97, Spirit and Opportunity, and it's now called Curiosity. I don't know if it was back then, but that's the big new rover that's going up in a couple more years. Yep, scheduled to launch in 2011. So still software work going on for for the uh uh for Curiosity? Absolutely. Oh, that's a question yep. for Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Curiosity's, you know, as you mentioned scheduled to launch in a couple of years and the uh the effort to build the operation system, you know, for that rover and the effort to write the software that will run on that rover is is ongoing and um one of the neat things about this challenge is that it, it's giving us an opportunity to sort of try this, you know, these ideas out now, uh, and then hopefully carry the lessons forward and use the approach again on the next mission. Now, just for curiosity's sake, you guys aren't setting the .NET framework up on these things yet, right? It's what do you typically develop in? What runs on a on a rover? There are, you know, a lot of different technologies that we use to uh, to both drive the rovers and, you know, onboard the rover itself. The rovers run a, a fairly um, sort of restricted set of of things, as you might imagine. It's, it's kind of a more um, confined platform, you know, where there are lots of concerns about reliability, uh, you know, in the face of things like solar radiation and, and whatnot. Um, so they, they use a real-time operating system that's really designed for embedded robotic systems. And you, you guys authored that? No, it, it uses a product called VxWorks on, on board. Um, huh. Much of the software is written in, in C, uh, a little bit in C++. And on the ground, we use a, a real you know, menagerie of, of technologies, uh, you mm. know, sure.net and 
but you know, pretty much you could name it, and, and it's uh, going to be present somewhere in, in the ground system. The scripting languages, uh, web-based technologies, you know, the whole gambit. Well, these are, yeah, vast variety of technologies once you get outside of the machine itself. I think the machine stuff, well, we talk about software development as rocket science. Like the, the, the fact that you need this huge level of reliability and redundancy. And, and we always hear stories of how you rewrite the software sometimes and ship it back up to the, to the device up in, on Mars, whether it be an orbiter or a lander and, and change the way it behaves. And that's critical, you know, a, a critical part of how we make these machines so long lived is that, um, you know, though we would love to get everything perfect the first time, you know, we discover things during the mission that we need to to change. And, and one of the ways we change that is by uploading new software to the vehicle during the mission. So we've done that several times for Spirit and Opportunity. I also heard, and this might be totally off topic, but I'm just fascinated, that uh, what's the what's the speed of your communication link? I heard it was like 300 baud or something. <laughs> it's faster than that. Um and uh, it's always challenging to remember these numbers off the top of my head, but uh, it depends on the, first of all on the the way we're communicating with the vehicle. Some mm. the, the vehicle uh, spirit and opportunity are capable of communicating directly with Earth at a fairly slow uh, rate, but the more typical method is that they communicate with the one of the orbiters there. So, for instance, Mars mm. Odyssey, and then Mars Odyssey relays uh, the data from the rover back to Earth, and it's. Exact numbers aside, you can think of it as sort of a um, uh, faster than dial-up, but the the but slower than broadband. And the challenge is that it's only on for a short period because the rovers have to basically catch the orbiter while it's going over, you know, send up a a slew of data, and then the orbiter will later send it back to Earth. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik who bring you the Web UI Test Studio for Silverlight UI testing. If you've already started developing with Silverlight, you'll soon need a solid testing tool for Silverlight UI. Unfortunately, there's no good way to simulate the actual behavior of end users unless you spend days and weeks doing manual testing. But things have changed. The guys at Telerik just introduced the first point-and-click UI testing tool for Silverlight. Web UI Test Studio. Check it out. You can quickly record tests with the cross-browser recorder and enrich them with code if you have more complex scenarios. On top of that, it supports standard controls and Telerik controls. You can verify not only Silverlight, but also complex AJAX applications. And the best part, WebUI Test Studio lives in Visual Studio, so you don't have to leave your favorite development environment. Check it out at Telerik.com web-testing-tools. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash Telerik. So Mark, um, tell us a little bit about what what Microsoft brought to the table in terms of technology for the Pathfinder Innovation Challenge. Sure, sure. So uh, we work together with NASA on, on the Bee Martian site, which is part of. Um, so that's, uh, you know, we, we work with them on the development of the site, um, some of the, the design of the site, helping to make sure all the, the technologies come together. From a technology perspective, it's a combination of, of Windows Azure, SQL Azure, um, SQL Azure services, also codenamed Dallas. Um, so the data that we're using, we recognize that as we were putting it up there for the competition, that it was only a, an incremental level of effort to get into uh, into codenamed Dallas so we could expose it out to more people, mm. which, was, which was pretty cool. Um, and then we help build out the whole infrastructure for hosting the, the competition itself. So submitting code, automatically reviewing that, 
um, and then sending uh, sending responses back, providing prizes as well. Was that a fairly straight ahead process? Did you run into any speed bumps? Overall, the, the infrastructure was was good. I mean, we we did the Be Martian site. We were there before um, you know it launched in, mm-hmm. because it was what, the project itself uh, was launched on stage by Ray Ozzy at, at PDC. Um, so we hit the typical speed bumps you'd expect from some pre-release uh, software, and we were able to get through that. Uh, one of the things that, that was really interesting from a technology perspective is just how well um, ASP.NET MVC on top of Azure um, allows you to do a number of different things as far as reach out to different types of clients and, and allow you to power different types of user experiences, um, which you know was, was pretty neat. But I think the interesting thing here is that this is, I know a lot of people are interested in learning how to program for the cloud. Um, and I think that I look at the, the competition on a couple of different levels. And, you know, first for Microsoft, first and foremost, it's interesting because it's, it's helping drive STEM, which is, which is key to both of our organizations. Uh, I think another interesting thing is that it allows people that really want to, to learn, you know, how to work in the cloud, but they don't have a practical application yet, uh, necessarily, whether it's, you know, uh, as a student or whether as an adult. So this actually gives you that, and it's a really, you know, you're helping, you know, as Michelle says, a civilization endeavor, right? And you can actually contribute to something sort of meaningful that's really going to be helpful to to the to the broader community. And you can do that through software. So it's it's something that as software developers, um, it's for challenge the, the the third and fourth tier um, competitions that that we know really well, and I think your audience uh, is clearly, you know, very familiar with. And then I think just conceptually, the whole concept of crowdsourcing, which is going to become more popular, is um, at the core of this. And I, what I think is just really unique about what NASA is doing is that it's giving people a chance to help, but then the the winners are going to effectively be helping enhance the data set that goes back to them that can then come back through a public data set in the future. So you have this sort of refinement process where you're, the community is actually being able to help NASA um, solve this uh, issue, and then that's providing better data that goes back to the community. It's this virtuous cycle, which I just think is is fascinating. And, and if we start looking at crowdsourcing in public sector or citizen, and more appropriately, citizen science, uh, where citizens are engaging in this way, and uh, I just think it's going to be very, very interesting to see what can come of that. Um, and if you think about the power of the crowd plus the you know the scale of the cloud, you know people could help you reach solutions and solve big problems much faster than you could even have imagined before, whether it was for time constraints or, you know, just getting the right people. Um, so I think we think that's, when you mix all that together, it's just totally fascinating. And, and I can count myself lucky every day that I get to work on it uh, with, with Michelle and Jeff. Right. If I could just echo that, the uh, the technologies that we're, we're exploring here are things that are also exciting us here at, at NASA. You know, the, the promise of the cloud to provide scalable resources for things like mission data processing, but also this opportunity, as, as Mark um, pointed out, to, to engage the general public. I'm excited at the possibility that we could uh, even take the results from a crowdsourcing exercise like this and feed them back into new exercises, because I I think that once we answer sort of one tier of questions about data sets like this, it will expose new questions. We'll be able to say, okay, well, now that we know where these key uh, tokens are in these images, what's the next question that we should ask? And, and maybe that's even something that uh, the community can help us to discover. What, you know, what's, what, what do we do now that we, we understand this about the data? And then we can, we can you know, turn that right around again and enrich the data set Further, so I I mm. think it, it it is it holds a lot of promise for uh, getting everything we can hope to get 
out of this very valuable data that we're receiving from our, our robotic explorers. I mean, think about the, the Globe Cooperation League, for, for example. So that's where you're building sort of these casual game sort of interfaces on top of the data to help solve the problem. Right. So what you're doing is you're employing your program, programming skills, maybe a designer, um, if you get a designer friend. And that's one thing that we talked about RoboChamps the last time I was on. Um, we recognize in RoboChamps one of the things that we didn't do well that is right in, in the Pathfinder Innovation Challenge is you can now do it in teams. And we have you know the prize structure set up to support teams. Um, is that uh, you, can de- you can invest your talents, but what happens is the interface that you can create can now let someone invest a small amount of time to help solve the problem. So counting craters, right? You can do that in 30 seconds. How many times have you been in a situation where you've got 10 minutes between meetings, right? right? If I had five minutes or 10 minutes, if I could help NASA, of course I'm going to do that, right? Because if you build the games uh, properly, you know, you build them so that they're engaging, people are going to have fun doing it. I mean, they've awarded uh, points on the NASA site. Uh, now, you don't get anything for the points. It's really just uh, showing your level of contribution. Um, and it's both for this map room where you're contributing to, the, to these problems here, as well as to something called town hall, where people can go ahead and engage with NASA staff, ask questions, that sort of thing. And there are people that have earned, just since November, a million points. Um, and that's the level of engagement that we've seen as a result of the site. So I think as a, as a programmer, it's, it's a great way for you to engage in sort of a noble purpose. Uh, and then from an impact perspective, to see that, that you're not only helping learn to use the cloud, you're not also helping NASA solve a problem, but you're going to have a, a level of scale and impact that for a lot of folks just isn't possible in the roles that they may have as part of their day jobs. Now, are any of these games available now, like on Xbox Live or anything like that? Or So there, if you go to the bmartian.jpl.nasa.gov um, and go to the map room, there are, there are two that are there right now. So one is picture nudging. Uh, and we're making some enhancements to that um, as well in the near future. Uh, and then there's also the crater counting. And these are uh, Silverlight games built on top of a REST API. Silverlight, wow, um, cool. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, you should see that just in the broader site, um, the technologies that were used to pull that together is just, I think, a, a really great uh, example of what you can do uh, using different technologies to solve, you know, the appropriate problems. Like there's a, uh, a called a Rovin, you know, you get the Mars rover, so it's almost like a drive-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've got this video series that Michelle and the team have put together called The Martians, which is a great series. They're showing it in HD because uh, in a Silverlight player, and they've got closed captioning. So when you look at, you know, for me, which was which was really rewarding, and, and I got experience in areas that I hadn't before. There are things like accessibility, things that are just super important for a, you know government agency, and you know because we're all citizens and we want to make sure that everyone um, is going to be able to have an experience on the site, regardless of their level of accessibility, um, we make sure that, that that is part of the experience. And then there's things like the Child Online Privacy and Protection Act, you know, making sure that when you post to forums, um, you know, they, they need to be filtered. So, you know, the youngest of citizens and youngest of citizen scientists are, are, are able to participate in a safe environment. So there are a number of things that are behind the covers when you start to explore the site. There's, uh, they're just fascinating to experience as, as someone who, who's interested in learning. Presenting well, and then if you look below, the, behind the covers of the technology, you're going to see things like Silverlight and Azure and SQL Azure, um, and things like that. Which, um, for, you know, as Microsoft, it was just really great to be able to pull the platform together to help solve um, the the interests of, of NASA and Microsoft for for driving the STEM education uh, project in B Martian. That's cool. I'm actually uh, counting craters right now, and uh, <laughs> basically you throw up a uh, what looks like a you know a JPEG or some kind of graphic. Of a little piece of Mars, and you got to look pretty carefully to 
to see at this level. Uh, you don't get some zoom. Do you get zooming? I don't see any zooming ability. You don't today. That's one of the things we're actually working on. But anyway, even if you if even if you could zoom, you'd still see a pixelated version of what you're seeing now. So you can always you know press Control Plus. No, I guess you can't even do that. Um, but but yeah, I can see a couple of craters there, and you just click on them and and then you can size them by uh, dragging the edge of the circle out or delete them by hitting the X. That's pretty cool. To follow up on uh, Jeff and Mark's uh, exuberant comments, too, the really nice thing about the reputation system that's built in for all of these things is that as we get the public working with data more and more, um, and particularly through anything that comes of the Pathfinder Innovation Challenge, then with new data sets and new questions that, that Jeff mentioned as a possibility, that, you know, the real hope is that um, as people grow in their own knowledge and their reputation grows, mainly because of what they've learned and what they've interfaced with in the continuing process projects that will be placed on the site, that eventually we might get to the point um, where um, members of the public actually know a lot about Mars can help us make decisions um, in some future state, even to the extent of saying to the next rover, once it's uh, been on Mars for a while, all right, you know, which rock do you want to go to? Um, And have that input based on um, people actually knowing something about it and and being able to to weigh in on um, the exploration that uh, we're doing really on behalf of us all. So yeah, a lot of exciting possibilities. <laughs> I think that's an excellent point. So not not only are there some, I think, pretty cool prizes for for the competition, but um there's an opportunity to to, to really connect more with, with NASA. For for example, one of the things that we, we've said in the contest um from the beginning is that, you know, the, the best uh submissions um into the global cooperation and intelligence leagues are going to be, uh, you know, reviewed by a team of NASA engineers, and uh, I have every intention of of looking for opportunities there to to pick up the best of the best and and include them in the the actual um, you know Curiosity mission software system. So the uh, you know there's there's an opportunity there to you know for your stuff to go all the way into the you know the operation system for the next rover mission. Um, you know if you if you compete in this competition, that is an astonishing and an amazing thing. And I bet I I can't imagine that you wouldn't be flooded with submissions. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty free, of course a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. How long has the, the site been up? The, the Be a Martian site itself uh, launched uh, at the PDC, so I think it was November 19th of last year. Uh, and we, you know, it, It's a, a testament to the the love people have for the work that's being done at NASA to see the press that came out of that. It was interesting. We saw uh, it reached headlines everywhere from you know, our hometown paper here in Seattle, the Seattle PI, to the BBC, to Zen Howe, uh, even made the Himalayan Times. To the Times. Himalayan Times. No. Wow. Yeah. Abominable snowman's having coffee. He's like, oh. <laughs> wow. the, you know, and, and you know, specifically with the pick, uh, the Pathfinder Innovation Challenge, um, I think we're uh, – 
we're all uh, ourselves learning also about how how to work this way. And so I, I've actually enjoyed the learning process. But um, you know, the, the competition has started, but we're still, um, I would say, learning and, and and getting the system completely, you know, humming for for the the competitors. So I'd want to make sure that you know your listeners were. Uh, realize that it's not too late to get involved by by any means. We, um, you know, the 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 race has just begun on this, so uh, we we welcome more more participants. Absolutely. I mean, we've uh, you've got a few months plus. You have the ability to work in teams. So whether you're uh, someone who's got full time to dedicate to this, or you get someone who can work in the evening hours with a couple of friends, um, this is wide open for anyone to participate in. And uh, you know, on the site there are are ways for the community that are participating in the competition to interact with each other. There's a forum system on there. Uh, there's also a blog on the site that we're going to try to use to uh, engage directly with that community as well. So, you know, we'll have you know engineers on my team um, as well as you know people from Michelle's office talking to the you know the competitors and 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 sharing the information we can to try to help them out in, in their work. And I'm really looking forward to, to connecting with some of the people who are excited about this kind of work and, and seeing what they've got. You know, my, my lazy developer side of me immediately grabs onto this. Why am I looking at these uh, craters when I could write software to figure out where the craters are? Like I think that, that's a great that, impulse. And that's, that's why, you know, the challenge of, I, I would say is that it's not an easy challenge and not an easy problem to, to, you know, reliably find craters or wheel tracks or things like that in images. But we, uh, we invite the people who have that very impulse to, to come and, and participate in the, in the level four challenge, the intelligence league. Because yes, I, I think some of these tasks could be automated. Some of them I don't think will, you know, using current technology, um, be easy to automate. But I hope some people out there will take that as a uh, a challenge <laughs> and that they will come and try to prove me wrong. Exactly. I, I think this is a case where we'd love to be shamed by someone else coming up with a better solution than, than you yeah, see on the site. Sometimes people have those aha moments and you, you wish you thought of it yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and not only, um, you know, fully automating it, but maybe you can look at uh, those interfaces and say, you know, oh, I've got an idea about how I can make this more fun or more engaging or more efficient such that maybe you're still using crowdsourcing, but the people who are using the system are more engaged and more effective in the task. I I recently was reading about a, a DARPA challenge around cr- using crowdsourcing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, where they put out 10 weather balloons somewhere in the Certainly. continental U.S. and said, you know, $40,000 to the first or group that can locate all 10 balloons. And it was a group at MIT that found them all in seven hours. Wow. And it wasn't just that there was one group that did that. There were three other groups that were within a few minutes of doing it too. Right. It was a great demonstration of the the power of crowdsourcing, the power of social networking, you know, not simply as a, a way to, you know, share your pictures with your friends and, and, you know, talk about what you're going to do this weekend, but uh, as a way to solve really tough problems. And so, yeah, I was, I was very excited to see, DARPA, um, you know, moving in that direction. And, and that's exactly the same, you know, spirit that we're working in as well. You know, there's a tendency for folks to look at NASA as sort of, you guys have the infinite amount of knowledge about computing. Like, we're just building CRUD apps out here, you know. You guys go to Mars. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I would be quick to correct that. I, I think, you know, I, um, I have the pleasure of, of interacting a lot with, with um, 
uh, folks in industry who are, are working in other areas. And I'm always struck by, by how um, similar at a certain level the challenges that we work on are to the challenges that people are working on out there. You know, for instance, you know, working in the, uh, with resources in the cloud, you know, we're concerned about the same sort of challenges about, you know, how to effectively, you know, use that resource. We, you know, we have to worry about security. We have to worry about, um, synchronizing data between, you know, different locations. Uh, so certainly at, at one level, we're doing it for a different reason, but I find that I learn a great deal, um, all the time when I'm interacting with people in the industry, you know, and, and understanding how they choose to solve these problems. Well, and, and for me, I'm thinking that a big part of your problem is this data analytics side, and we're doing a lot of work these days trying to find competitive advantages for business that may well map to competitive advantages in understanding the reams and reams of data you've got. Are you using any kind of um, uh, SETI at home kind of, uh, what do they call that, distributed uh, grid computing? Grid computing, yeah. To do an that is a, well, certainly there are efforts at NASA that... Um, use that approach. The Pathfinder Innovation Challenge specifically isn't, isn't looking at grid computing. Um, just we, we, we chose to focus on the other, other elements. It's very similar in spirit. It's you know, allowing people to contribute the spare cycles on their computer. I think what we're after here is the spare cycles of their brain. Of their so, brains, yeah. You know, we want, we want their, their creative energies and um, also just their, you know, the, those 10 minutes between, you know, meetings to, to help us find a few craters or a few, a few more rocks. The, the STEM side of this, the whole, we don't think much about the fact that as software developers, I guess we're still part of this sort of science technology uh, model. Uh, and we've, I see this going into universities and going into high schools and talking to them about computing careers that our business is just not that hip anymore. Folks aren't really focused on it the way they used to be. I, I think that's right. I, I, I think there's a lot of talent out there on all levels and partnerships between government, industry, and academia, like the one we have here, um, are really important. Um, Microsoft, NASA, and really the nation's high-tech industries overall um, share a desire to ensure that we're developing all of the skills and capabilities and talent um, uh, that we can um, for our workforce today and for the next generation workforce as well. So it really is for, for people who are already professionals um, to have a challenge that they can uh, apply what they know and maybe uh, some creativity that, that comes to them in the process as well as inspire um, the next generation to keep going in these topics. I think there was a time in the 90s when uh, there was a serious drop off in uh, computer science majors and engineering disciplines in general. I think the the Cold War mentality was, you know, be an engineer because that's the the sort of the the the, the hip job, secure job of the future. Um, and uh, you know, with the influx of foreign engineers coming over here and not only sort of eating our lunch in terms of. Uh, jobs, but just in terms of preparation, you know, in terms of talent, I think that, I, I, are you still seeing that as much as we did in the night? I mean, in the nineties, it was really, really dramatic. And there, we were claiming that there was this absolute lack of, of future engineers and, and scientists. Is it, is it swinging back around now a little bit? Do you, does anybody know the stats on that? Well, that, Hard for me to try to answer that at a at a sort of global level. 
um, you know, at my local level, you know, we, we still, uh, you know, I think we will always have to make sure that people realize, you know, the, the great opportunities that this kind of business, uh, this, these kinds of skills hold for them. But, you know, there are still, you know, very excited people who um, want to, to come and, and commit to this kind of a work and, and see the, you know, the advantages it brings. One challenge, I think, is making sure that they're um, aware of the of the opportunities. Sometimes I, I, you know, talk to people who just didn't realize that, for instance, NASA needed people with their skills. And it, uh, you know, when I explained to them that, for instance, sometimes I, I, I talk to people in software and who might say, well, you know, I'm a computer programmer, but, you know, I, I don't know anything about rocket engines. I don't know anything about you know, satellites. How, how could I do anything to help NASA? And, and, you know, we just have to say, but wait, look, you know, so much of our work is software. You know, I I can't build a rocket engine. You know, I don't know how to how to uh, construct a rover. Uh, but my role in in NASA's exploration is um, you know software, and we need thousands and tens of thousands of um, hundreds of thousands of, of people with those skill sets to to step up to the to these kinds of challenges. Um, and again, that I think they'll find that those skills transfer very well uh, from NASA into industry or the other direction. So it's not that, you know, if you come to work for NASA, you're, you'll never be able to go and work in industry. In fact, I think they would find that their skills carry them very well in industry as well. I think one thing I would add to, to Jeff's comments is that I think both NASA and Microsoft also see a, a – it's very important to make sure that everyone um, can get exposed to, to technology and, 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 and um, have the opportunity to excel. I know that we're very active with programs at places like the Boys and Girls Club uh, and also in various communities. Um, you know, Microsoft, we actually, they've got a really great matching program here. So if we want to donate time, um, to help out in places like this, they'll, they'll match. They not only allow us to do that, but they'll match us, I think, $17 an hour for our time hmm. and contributions to the organization. I know Michelle's got great outreach programs with HUD and, and she can talk to them a bit more. But we recognize that, you know, there are always going to be folks that are interested. Um, but I think for, for some communities and, and for some folks, they may not have a chance to be exposed to technology and, and they could excel. But maybe they don't have access to uh, whether it's computers or, or folks that can help them uh, and maybe mentor them. And I know that's an area that that both organizations are very active in um, in trying to help out in different communities and, and really drive that next generation workforce of folks because it's in everybody's interest to make sure that that uh, our industry continues and and we we attract the best minds. Uh, and Michelle, what about this uh, the HUD program? Well, we're um, partnered with um, uh, HUD for their neighborhood networks, um, and those are computer computer learning centers for students um, who live in HUD housing. And the gains that we see in those kids are absolutely incredible. We have a program we run called Imagine Mars, where the students um, think about their home communities, decide what's good and bad, dream of an idealistic community on Mars, and in the process we sneak in some great science and technology. Um, but in creating their communities, we really encourage them to use um, various computer software programs um, and technologies to design their communities for the future. So in the process, we're really giving them a lot of uh, 21st century digital age skills uh, along with science content knowledge. And really, when you see that you know, these kids go from never having done a PowerPoint, for instance, all the way up to some really sophisticated um, design programming, you can really see what a difference a little bit of um, 
uh, effort will will make um, for these kids who haven't really been exposed to computers, and that helps them whether they join us on on a NASA team one day or just in the general business um, jobs that they they may aspire to. And Mark, this feels like we're back in back into the robotics. Uh, uh, kit that you can get with Studio Express that kids, I've seen this in the high schools as well, building and modeling their robots uh, and writing the software for it inside of Express with the robotics toolkit. Sure. And we have something that was just released recently called Kodu, uh, which is put out by Rayazi's uh, Fuse team. And uh, you can write programs on the Xbox or your PC using an Xbox controller. So, uh, and, and the program you do is you build games. So it, it just really... Um, innovative stuff. And just I think, as Michelle points out, letting people have access, and um, you know, whether they come to work for Microsoft or or, or work on a national mission team, you're giving uh, kids and and young adults skills that they can then parlay into their their career. And, and I tell you, when we first started talking, to Michelle, I, I wasn't really aware of the HUD program, and um, the stories she can tell you are just absolutely amazing. Where, you know, we use PowerPoint as part of our every everyday uh, existence. But when you think about a, a young child telling stories using all the features of, you know, features that we may use once every so often inside of um, uh, PowerPoint, they're using all the time and telling these fantastic stories um, and in the process learning these, these great, uh, great skills at the same time. And it really opened my eyes up to the, the, the power that we can have with just everyday uh, skills and, and how you can help folks out with just the things that we take for granted every day. So it's, uh, it's very rewarding on a number of levels getting to, getting to work with them. And by the way, before we wrap here, if you're interested in learning how to use the XNA Game Studio to program uh, for your Xbox on your PC, check out uh, shows 165 and 166 of DNR TV, where we actually did a, a 720p video of Michael Cummings on XNA development. And we, we built a game in two hours over across two shows called Bumper Cars in Space. <laughs> and it was really fun. I had a great time doing it. And uh, we got all the way to uh, showing it deployed on an Xbox. Oh, wow. Well, guys, thank you. This has been, wow, one of the best hours of my week. It's such an honor to talk to, to NASA and to talk to you guys about uh, what you've been doing. And congratulations. And uh, let's get out there on the site and be a Martian. Thank Sounds you very much. much. Absolutely. We welcome you. All right, thanks again, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a tie boy. Life is hard.